Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Hey folks, welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Oreos, this eh, semi-often podcast that we decide to do at any periodic time we so choose to do is your official source for lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is June 17th, 2017. This is episode 206. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And on today's show, we'll play a little bit of the blame game to see who's at fault so far for this terrible, terrible season. We'll also get a visit from an all-knowing, omnipotent figure who can give us the answers that we deserve. Charlie Hoppus is coming back on the show? I only wish. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the Drink of Week. Jake, what are we imbibing this evening? Scott Magnus, we are drinking uh, margaritas made by the one and only Scott Magnus. Uh, they are fantastic. And, and orange. And, and orange. And, uh, well, let me just put it this way. If the podcast gets a little loopy... It's because of the high-quality podcast juice we have this evening. If you want to find out what other drinks we're drinking, mainly in the beer category, you can check us out on Untapped. You can follow me at MEGN8606. And I'm at JakeE4025. Again, if you want to find out what Natty Bo Jake is drinking each evening, you can find them there. Listen, I was painting a deck for a solid week. I was hydrating, Scotty. I was hydrating. Well, good for you. But now you know what's important for hydration? It's a good thing you do that because it could get you into some medical conditions if uh, you don't hydrate properly. So it's time to go ahead and dabble into the medical wing. I don't want to do this, Scott. I don't want to do this segment. It hurts my feelings. Okay, why does it hurt your feelings? Well, because we have big players out. Yes. And having them back wouldn't in any way help our case. Oh, see, I thought you were going to be hurt in other fashions. No. I thought you were going to be hurt because you might have to, um, I don't know, you might have to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You might have to listen to yourself sing. That's not a good idea. Can I say, you've gotten much better over time. This is kind of rough. It's a little rough. Your quality has definitely improved. Also, I think it's really tough to sing Gwen Stefani. Yeah, yeah. She's she's better suited for uh, late show uh, segments. Yes. And auto-tuning, but that's a whole other matter. Um, all right. So Chris Davis, of course, the oblique injury this week. Um, big news. Uh the reports came out today saying that uh, Buck was uh, not optimistic that he's going to be back before the All-Star game, which really is not a surprise whatsoever. Um, we kind of all expected that it was going to be six to eight weeks. So if it's six to eight weeks from the beginning of June, you're looking at August. So I don't know where this All-Star break came out from. I mean, I think that was a very optimistic standpoint. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, it's terrible. You got the $168 million man. And people are starting to debate whether or not it's a big loss to the team. Which I don't buy. I mean, you take a look at the splits for the entire season. And Chris Davis is right up there as being the number, you know, third um, best offensive performance. Yes, I realize the strikeouts are there, but the walks and the power are still there. So he is still Chris Davis. Right. It's almost like that's what you signed him for. We also have uh, Zach Britton, who... Is he going to be seen in public with a baseball in his hand soon? If you can consider Aberdeen Ironbirds baseball to be real baseball, then yes, absolutely. All right. You do have me there. Uh, so it's a success if his arm doesn't fall off, right? Yes, but it'll be interesting also to see what kind of velocity he's pulling and stuff like that, too. If he gets lit up by single A 
short season, low A uh, baseball players. I think we just pack it up, right? Pretty much. All right. Darren O'Day, the man we didn't even know was hurt. All right. He was supposed to throw off flat ground today, pitch off a mound tomorrow. What do you think? Will he be back for any meaningful time soon, or is this another uh, case of well after the All-Star break? I think this is going to be close to the All-Star break. Two to three weeks, I think, away. So we'll call it close. He could potentially be back by the end of June, though. So I think he might be able to get back before the All-Star break. We'll see. Next one, Mike Wright, cortisone injection. He thinks he can come back right away. Do we really want him? Mike no. Wright, real injury or roster manipulation? Real injury. All right, if you say so. And Ryan Flaherty is now throwing in Sarasota, and frankly, I am outraged. Okay. I'm outraged because Ryan Flaherty being released to the point where he can throw outside means that they are no longer sucking the life out of him and putting it in Zach Britton. You know, that could be why Mike Wright went on the DL, too, for the cortisone injection. All right. I'm Now I'm down. Real injury. He's, he's got a case of the of the donors. So when Zach Britton comes back, the command and control is going to be all over the place. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, anything else going on in terms of the medical wing that you can think of? Not if, unless you count broken hearts all throughout Birdland. No, that doesn't really count. Let's go to 140 characters less this week on the Twitters. All right. Uh, I want to start with a tweet from our good friend Derek Arnold over at Utah Street Report, who is responsible for the handle Utah Street Report at utah st report if you ever said to yourself quote man i wonder what it would have been like if twitter was around in 2002 end quote well now you know it's true it's true uh also the next week comes from now playing for your baltimore orioles this comes from uh at d to the wash which is david washington's uh handle uh his tweet goes as follows when you're at the end of the roll you find out how much toilet paper you really need Nothing could be more apropos than calling up your number 36 ranked prospect to be on the major league team. That does seem appropriate for David Washington. All right, this is a tweet from Camden Depot. How pissed off do you think Pedro Alvarez has to be, by the way? Super pissed. (laughs) The thing about David Washington is that he can be sent back down. Pedro Alvarez, once he's there, he's there to stay. Yeah, but I mean, what is David Washington really bringing to the table right now? I mean, what is Pedro Alvarez really bringing? No, I mean, David Washington literally came up. He's playing first base in in a game today where the game was well out of reach in the eighth or ninth inning. Was it? It, Was it? It it was. It was. Why wouldn't you say, you know what? Let's go ahead and bring David Washington in just as a, you know, a spot start kind of just to say, let's give him some time at first base. Nope. Uh, not even a chance. The only time that David Washington has seen a spot start is at DH uh, earlier this week, which again, screams the question, why not Pedro Alvarez? I would be on the phone with my agent immediately being like, I don't care if I have to go to Japan ball. I don't care if I have to go to South Korea. I don't care if I have to go to the Mexican League. Get me out of this organization. <laughs> All right. Our next tweet comes from Tam- Camden Depot, who tweets at Camden Depot. Sometimes this club feels like the 1998 Orioles and Machado is the new Messina. <sighs> that's that, sad mm. and so sad because it actually may be true it has a whole lot of emotions wrapped up into it because messina went off to the no um, nope no well yep, no. Yep, yep. so uh this is bad uh mike petrolio post at mike underscore petrolio he uh basically does the whole thing stat cast for mlb.com um he put the starting rotation x woba so this isn't just regular woba this is x woba jake which is categorized on the basis of Statcast data. So it's taking a look at exit velocities and launch angles and making the determination of whether there'd be singles, doubles, triples, or home runs via their theoretical model. Um, and right there was number one, the Dodgers, number two, the Diamondbacks, number three, the Houston Astros, 28, the Philadelphia Phillies, 29, the Baltimore Orioles, 30, the Chicago White Sox. All right. So I get it. The Orioles pitching, not so good, but. What I hear from this is that the Chicago White Sox pitching super sucks, so we should be fine for that series. Uh oh. We we should we Uh-oh. should we should be fine Uh-oh. for that series. Uh oh. All right. The last tweet for this week on the Twitters. I'm gonna take you back, Scotty, to episode one fifty three of Bird's Eye View. Let's let's take the Wayback Machine. And remember that that was the episode in which we played it, the alibi. Isn't this what we used to do back in the day going, 
No, we don't do that because we're oh. not worthy. Um, this is episode one fifty three called the Alibi. We we did the um, we did the serial spoof about the whole Dexter Fowler situation. This is a tweet from Eduardo Encina, who tweets, of course, at Eddie in the yard. Past in the past, Dexter Fowler being welcomed to hashtag Baltimore by Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter. Hashtag Orioles, hashtag Cardinals. Mm. Hashtag Cubs. <laughs> it's interesting. What do you think a team with Dexter Fowler in the outfield would look like? Any different? Uh, I think that the Orioles potentially could have won the division last year. Oh, man. Well, that's okay, because we got plenty of times to keep... Oh. 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 So you're saying that, that wasting our opportunities during the window is a bad thing? Yes, that is correct. Well, you know what, Scott? I don't think we should let this kind of thing go. I think that we should take our index finger and point it directly at the person, persons, or institutions to blame for this situation that's going on here in 2017. So as the Orioles struggle and tumble further down into the standings, the blame game has begun in Baltimore. Folks have begun to cast blame on everyone and anyone that could explain this recent downturn in 2017. Let's go through uh, the cast of characters, as it were, and determine the degree of blame on a completely arbitrary ranking basis in typical bird's eye view fashion. So number one, number one. Buck Showalter um, is on the list of certain people. Uh, there was an interesting uh, exchange in the past. Jonathan French, who uh, actually writes for Utah Street Reports, at JTray81, has been on the uh, This Is All Buck's Fault. Um, similarly, Jonathan also has had a situation where he's basically blamed hitting coaches and pitting coaches before, basically saying they're the entire reason why um, all the players are terrible um, in certain instances. Uh, such instances as... Um, all you have to do is look at his adjustments to snap the losing zip, zilch, and nada. Hashtag bucked, hashtag Orioles. And you can blame him for not molding Machado into a leader, for not benching him or fining him for stupid play. Can I ask you a question? Sure. All right. Um, the Orioles um, have been terrible. Yes. So what is it do you think it is particularly about Buck Showalter's uh, failure to mold Manny Machado into a leader that has made Kevin Gosman so bad. Um, that's a good question. All right, all right. Well, well, let's just put that aside. What is it about Buck Showalter's management decisions that have uh, failed to turn Manny Machado into a leader? that have resulted in absolutely nobody from the bullpen being able to pitch? This, once again, is an excellent question. Hmm. So I think the questions that most people raise for Buck Showalter is line of construction, line of construction, line of construction, Mm -hmm. and also letting starting pitching go too deep into the game. We saw this in Saturday evening's uh, contest where Wade Miley was able to basically back himself into a corner, put two runners on, and then Alec Asher came in and gave up a three-run homer in the process. And a lot of times he would come back and question Buck Showalter saying, why did you let Wade Miley basically put himself in the corner and then rely on your bullpen to basically explode slash blow up in your face at that time? Yeah, here's the thing about managers. Um, I'm not going to for a moment say that they don't matter. But I feel like at the end of the season, the difference between a team with a bad manager and a team with a good manager is fewer than 10 wins, right? I think it's probably fewer than like two or three wins. <laughs> like I, being generous, the swing is fewer than 10 wins, right? It's it's going to be a lot more. It's going to be a lot less than that, yeah. The Orioles have gone 10 games under 500 here in June. Right. I'm just not buying the fact that the manager is to blame when the manager has crappy options to go to sure the manager is going to make crappy decisions sure so i mean 
this comes back to the point of um, you look at free agency and you look at war, for example, mm-hmm. and you say, okay, if one war is worth $8 million, we're going to pay that pitcher, you know, $8 million. So there is a certain value for each player. So if Buck Showalter is worth three war, he should be paid $24 million, basically, which is not the case. And we had no complaints about him last year right. in the regular season. Right. Uh, and no complaints about him from 2012 to 2015. Right. Why now? Oh, because the team is bad now. This this one out of his, what, six years with the club? Sure. Come and it's, it's, it's a sense of recency bias is the best way to describe it. And you're looking... What f- have you done for me lately? Right. You're looking for basically any kind of scapegoat, as it were. And yes, Buck is very stubborn in um, wanting to change things up. But the things that he could change up probably would not make much of a difference whatsoever. I will say that in May, when the losing skids started, I was pretty frustrated with him. But the longer and longer and longer the losing streak went, I was like, oh, actually, no matter what he does, things blow up in his face. So maybe I need to rethink all that anger I had toward him before. Sure. I think the one coach that is definitely getting more of the blame is number two, Roger McDowell. Um, Roger McDowell has been getting uh, the scapegoat treatment from uh, the majority of Twitter and Facebook. And uh, I believe Derek Arnold at Utah Street Report has basically been calling for his pink slip for a while now. To which I add this question, Jake. Jake, how much value do you think a pitching coach actually brings to the table? Well, I think a good pitching coach brings a lot of value. Okay. I think a terrible pitching coach brings uh, negative value. Sure. And to be honest with you, I think a a run-of-the-mill average pitching coach can neither do much damage nor raise the pitching caliber very high. Sure. So I'm going to counter all these arguments with um, with two words. Okay. Leo Mazzoni. Yeah. When Leo Mazzoni came into the Baltimore Orioles from the Braves organization, we all thought that it was the time of the renaissance. We thought that the pitchers were all of a sudden going to get immensely better. They were going to craft their their art, and they were going to go from that terrible terrible rotation terrible terrible pen to even being mediocre and also developing young starters in the process too and helping some of our the cavalry if yes you will. exactly and and leo mazzoni over his entire career um was amazing but leo mazzoni came out, came in and could do absolutely nothing to shape the baltimore Orioles. was leo mazzoni amazing or did leo mazzoni coach Hall of Famers. Ooh. Oh, so are, are we saying here that the talent of the players um, plays a larger role than the actual aspect of the pitching coach um, influencing how well they're going to do? I feel like what I'm saying is a pitching coach can shine up a diamond to go from exquisite to amazing. Sure. And can polish a turd from being mostly smelly to just a little bit smelly. Sure. I, I, I'm not arguing that whatsoever. I, I just think it comes back to the point of I don't think there's really that much benefit that a pitching coach makes. So, you know, a typical pitching coach is going to make, you know, a quarter to a half a million dollars a year, basically. That's basically on par for what Henry Urdia basically made with his team. I looked up uh, which episode we talked about Dexter Fowler. I'm, I was too lazy to look up what um, – what episode we talked about it was called string theory yeah right and we talked about uh dave wallace and dom chidi going to zach Britton and running the strings across the 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 plate and saying hit it here mm-hmm. right right those guys took a very talented pitcher in zach Britton who had failed over and over and over again it was on his last chance the last year that he had he had no options remaining and they and they turned him into a bullpen presence Enough to make the team. Sure. And that allowed him to take the next step to take the closer's job and eventually become a dominant closer. So sure. I don't I don't mean to say that... And pitching, they did that with Brian Mattis. And they did that with Jake Arrieta, right? I don't mean to say that pitching coaches have zero influence, because they do. Right. But they are also, as you indicate, with Jake Arrieta and Brian Mattis, not miracle workers. Sure. I mean, it's it's just a matter of... I think a pitching coach can point out certain things that you potentially could be doing wrong. But at the end of the day, if you are not you know, an effective uh, out there on the mound um, from a talent standpoint and or um, 
a mechanic standpoint, shame on you. And I would be a lot more willing to listen to people blame the pitching coach if any one of the following things were happening. Um, Kevin Gosman not repeating his his form that he's been at. Um, Ebaldo Jimenez not being able to keep it together. All of the bullpen not being able to look like Major League Pitching. Uh, but instead, all of the things are going wrong at the same time mm-hmm. from a pitching standpoint, right? No one thing is going well outside of every other start of Wade Miley's and Dylan Bundy. And so, you know, if, if you were in the camp that says that Roger McDowell is the problem here, who in the name of God do you want to take that job that is going to have a better influence? I'm not saying that Roger McDowell is a good pitching coach. Right. I'm just saying that he's not the problem. Sure. And, and I mean, if you're out there and you and you know the guy, please educate me. Who is the guy to replace Roger McDowell with that's going to make a difference? Mm-hmm. I can't think of a single person. I mean, that come... silver bullet is not out there. Right. So, and again, if you're going to hold against the negatives, then you're also going to have to come back and say, well, whatever happened with Dylan Bundy this season where he's gotten better as he was from last year, um, we can't hold that too. Because again, Dylan Bundy was not very good last year. Yeah. We keep coming back to saying, oh, well, Dylan Bundy was really good last year and he's continuing that trend this year. No, Dylan Bundy was not good last year. Like, he was able to kind of make it as a fourth or fifth starter, but he had like a FIP of like 4.5 to 4.8 or something like that. I can look up the numbers while we're talking, but Dylan Bundy was not very good. So it's going to, you know, there's positives out of Roger McDowell as much as there are negatives. The negatives come back to the bullpen is absolutely in shells. And the reason is Zach Burton's not there and Darren O'Day's not there often as well. Can we go to number three? Sure. And this is one that I think we def- desperately need to talk about. And that is Dan Duquette. Yeah. Is Dan Duquette to blame for this season? <sighs> All right. So it comes back to um, the Orioles are not going to spend $250 million every single year. It's not possible. They have a certain set threshold budget. Um, and at best, they're going to be spending 150 to $160 million based off their revenues. So if you look at their payroll, the Orioles right now are, I think, are 10th right now in Major League Baseball in terms of payroll. Um, whether or not you have an issue with how money was allocated, probably more likely in the Davis slash Trumbo aspect, you still come back to coming into this offseason, and people are going to say, well, they should have gone out and got a pitcher. Who? Rich Hill was your number one starting pitcher out there in free agency, and he is absolutely bombed out there. There is not a starting pitcher that came out of this offseason that would have made a dynamic difference for the Baltimore Orioles going ahead. If anything, the biggest move that Dan Duquette made was going out and getting Seth Smith for Giovanni Gardo, and Giovanni Gardo has been equally horrible, and he would not have made a, a dent whatsoever. I understand it's frustrating to look at Trumbo and how Davis are performing, but the same standpoint is when those guys are red hot, no one's complaining, basically. So it's these peaks and valleys, basically, Right now, we are in a heavy, heavy valley is the best way to describe it. But if they manage to get hot and if Davis has managed to come back in August and um, light it up again at the end of the season, no one's going to be complaining. So I think the appropriate time to to shake your fist at Dan Duquette is 2019 through whenever, Mm -hmm. right? Because when the window closes and the Orioles can no longer compete, they're either going to need to do one of two things. They're either going to need to fool themselves into thinking they can still compete, or they're going to need to shut it down and rebuild. And that's going to suck hardcore because we're spoiled. We're sure. spoiled with a pretty good club that that has competed over the last several years, and it's going to suck hardcore. And the thing is about the, the rebuild is that it's going to be a complete rebuild because there is nothing left. The cupboard is empty because Dan Duquette took this 2012 to 2018 window and he said, damn the torpedoes. We are going to do everything that we can to win now in this window. And if the Orioles don't win a world series between now and then we're going to feel a lot different about Dan Duquette than we do if, if he does win. And so I can understand people cursing him for an empty uh, cupboard in 2019. But right now, 
The only thing that you can really look at him and blame him for is that he went into this season after the Orioles uh, made the playoffs last year and said, yeah, this starting rotation, exactly as it is, yeah, that's good enough. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll be fine. And I, I hear you, and I hear you, I agree yeah. with you that there was no, there was no uh, solution out there. Right. But I can look at the, the way the money's been allocated sure. and said you've, you've overspent in areas of strength and let languish an area of clear weakness through the whole, through the whole window. Sure, and I think it comes back to um, that point of, you know, the money that was spent, I think the one that we always look at is Davis, for example. Did Duquette really have a say-so in the Davis negotiations? I mean, honestly, I think that really came back to more of an Angelos engagement more so than anything else. And yeah, I've got no facts or statements about this, so this is true WNST territory here, basically. Ouch. But you look at that kind of negotiation, and the owner obviously got involved, is the best way to describe it. Um, Duquette made the offer, said, if he's not happy with it, we're willing to walk away. And then a deal was made basically saying, oh, we'll be able to make a deal with a bunch of backloaded money. You don't take that kind of backloaded money deal unless the owner is willing to sign off on it and be part of the process. And if the owner is honest about it, when he said that this is money set aside for Davis and Davis only, yeah, and that money doesn't impact your actual budget, yep, then it doesn't hurt you. Correct, right? If Peter Angelus decided to open his wallet and make a what you and I believe is a mistake with Chris Davis, sure. don't get me wrong, I love him, I'm glad he's back, but it was financially a mistake. Yeah, if he's willing to make that mistake and live with it and continue to spend beyond that, then so be it. Sure. But if that's the reason given for we're too poor from uh, Machado or we're too poor to, to you know put a real team together while we're rebuilding, well, it's a different thing. The only thing I will criticize Duquette for is um, I think sometimes he's a little too conservative in his approach um, for who he goes out and gets is the best way to describe it. So I do think it would be really interesting to say – you know, if I'm going to trade a player like a Zach Davies, who everyone harps on saying, oh, it'd be great if we had Zach Davies on this team. Zach Davies is putting up a 6.26 case per nine, a 3.19 walks per nine, a 4.91 ERA in the National League, and a 5.10 FIP in the National League. Zach Davies would be no better than any starting pitcher that is currently um, within our rotation right now. But coming back to the conservative aspect, I think Dan Duquette sometimes needs to do more um, along the lines of like we saw in 2014 with the Andrew Miller trade, yeah. where it's the aspect of you make a trade to make the team better and you give up a piece and you say, I'm not really happy that I had to give up that piece, but in the end, it made my team significantly better. But he made that that move because they were close. Yes. And I mean, I've got a guy at work who every time we play the Red Sox complains about that trade and tries to tell me it was a mistake. Still love that trade. But the Orioles were close. Yeah, still love that trade. And Andrew Miller was the best piece the Orioles could have added in 2014. If the Orioles are close in 2017 Mm -hmm. and you want to tell me that the right move to possibly win a World Series, again, to possibly win a World Series is to trade off a Trey Mancini or a Jonathan Scope or something else that hurts, you know, or or say Chancisco's got to go or sure. say something, you know, the only jewel from our minor league system has to go because we might win a World Series. It's hard to say that's not the right move. Sure. I think it comes back to you can't, you don't know whether or not it's going to be a World Series, but if you can go and win a division mm-hmm. and put yourself in the aspect of not a one game playoff, um, I think it's worth it to go and get a division. If you're playing for a wild card spot, it's tough it's really tough andrew miller pitched 20 innings for the orioles in 2014 in the regular season we talked about this last week i would do it every time yeah i I agree with you um i know there's a lot of people that disagree with us but i completely agree with you instead of point counterpoint this is point more point yeah can we uh can we go to number four sure final point right yeah we gotta so we can't blame the manager we can't blame the GM, we can't blame the pitching coach. Why don't we blame the players themselves? What? Is there something to be said for the fact that the players who are underperforming are um, uh, underperforming? Yes. The Orioles are all terrible all the time. That is the Orioles' fault. I mean, at which point are we going to look at the starting rotation and say, this is the problem? 
And we could have expected the ball, uh, Baldo Jimenez would have been, sure, quote unquote, uneven in his starts. Yeah. And that's okay from your number five starter. Yeah. But everybody else has been objectively terrible with the exception of Bundy and every other start from Wade Miley. Which, again, is what you expect from a fourth or fifth starter, basically, yeah. which is what you kind of expect Wade Miley to be. Kevin Gossman and Chris Tillman are the killers in this season. Mm-hmm. Chris Tillman coming into the season hurt and still looking like he's hurt has been a killer because you basically lost your number two, number three starter. And Kevin Gossman has been abysmal. His last start, he showed some promise during those first two innings. Breaking ball was really working well. And then I don't know what's going on with him, but there's something going on in the head right now because he just doesn't have confidence in his pitches. And when you lose that confidence, he basically floats fastballs right down the middle of the plate. And those guys annihilate it. What I don't understand about the starting staff right now is that it's all happening in the first couple of innings. Yep. The games are over before they begin. And, uh, I mean, I keep talking about this. I'm in the middle of a move right now. And so I'm, I'm doing a lot of manual labor and work on the house. And so, you know, I'll be outside painting or You're something not used like to that, that, are you? No, certainly <laughs> not. I'll be outside painting or something, and I'll come in and check on the game at, like, 7.45, and the game's over. Right. Right? The starter is 68 pitches deep in the second or third inning, and the game is just over. Like, the starters are not just not performing. Sure. They are putting the game away before the game really has a chance. And at that point— And I would make the argument saying that's not even Dark Ages baseball. Dark Ages Orioles baseball. Dark Ages Orioles baseball, for those that forget, was uh, the game is relatively close, and then the Orioles somehow will get to the 7th, 8th, and ninth inning and basically either blow a lead and or come really close to coming back and then basically stick a dagger in your heart and pull it out. I have a hard time harping on the offense for not fighting back when they're down 7-2 in the second. You know what I mean? I mean, if you look at the offense and you say, guys, you only scored two runs in five games of this week. Well, that's great. Sure. But if you're down 7-2 in the second inning, like, who's going to be able to come back from that emotionally? Sure. You know, Buck Showalter keeps saying these guys aren't robots, right. but they're not. Right. There's an emotional toll of always being behind the eight ball. And the starters are the ones putting them in that position. And, you know, you, you talk about Gosman, you're right. He's not right, and that's a problem. But Chris Tillman is hurt. Yes. And if he's not, if he's not ready to play, he is hurting the team far worse than people like Alec Asher and Gabrielle Enoa and everybody else. Because if those guys aren't good enough, so be it. But Chris Tillman is hurting the team because he's pitching when he's clearly not ready to pitch in the majors. There was a great tweet today from Luke Jones at Baltimore Luke. Um, it says that oh, hashtag Orioles have allowed at least five runs for the 14th straight game. That's a club record according to at baseball reference play index, which again comes back to the point of the pitching is um, doing the worst as it ever has from a, from a franchise basis. Um, it's probably not as bad as it actually is, but at this time it's very difficult to watch on a day in and day out basis. It, it, it really is. And you know, I am uh I am the captain of the shame people on attendance uh, train. I, I don't. I don't blame people at this point for not showing up to Orioles games. You know, if you take a look at the way the May is run and look at the way that June is unfolding, you know, how can you look at a half-empty Camden Yards and think, "Wow, I can't believe we got half the people here." You know, who wants to go and watch that? Who wants to tune in for that night after night? It's hard to watch. Well, this comes back to like what people talk about the Abaldo starts. Abaldo starts are very difficult to watch because you go in and you're just like, well, unless the offense hits really well tonight, we're going to get destroyed. Um, and that and that's a difficult proposition. At least you want to say, with one swing of the bat, we could be right in this game. But unfortunately, like you said, if you're down seven to two, one swing of the bat does not get you back into the ball game. And let's let's look at the offense for just a second because the stellar offense has usually been enough to make up for the difference sure and they just haven't and so part of that is that you know the the pitching is just putting them so deep in the hole to begin with but the other thing is that this is super weird this year i mean manny machado at the plate has looked mortal and the really depressing thing is that he's bad enough to to not be um impactful but not awful enough that it will affect his price when he hits the open market sure uh, but, you know, Chris Davis, before getting hurt, has not lived up to his contract. I would argue that... Um, 
I don't know if I agree with that. And I, I know a lot of people point that out, but I still come back to the fact of Davis last year put up um, between a two and a half to three war season. So again, if you space it out over the entire contract, I think it's pretty darn close to being what you expected from last season. It wasn't superstar performance and you expect regression at the back end of the, of, of the contract. But at this point, I wouldn't be willing to say the contract is a bust. I do think I'm going to get to that point, but I'm not willing to say that at this point. I think with what we saw before he got hurt, I haven't seen enough from him to say, oh, he's having a good season. Okay, that's and, fair. And I and I don't just mean that with my you know dumb fan eyes. Yeah. I mean, he has been uh, uh, consistently in the middle of the lineup, and that hasn't meant anything for sure. the Orioles. Uh, and, and similarly, Mark Trumbo, you know, I would argue has not also lived up to the contract that they gave him. I, I don't think it's a terrible contract. I don't think they wasted a lot of money. Sure. But again, this is a guy in the middle of the lineup that, you know, for whatever reason, has not been the same guy that he was that got that contract. I mean, I would come back to Davis, though, and I'd point out 2012, 2.1 war, 2013, 7, 2014, 0. 0.8, 2015, 5.6, 2016, 2.7. And so far this season, he's at 0. 0.9. So again, Definitely not quite where he wants to be, but you look at the previous season in 2016, a 111 weighted runs score plus. This year, 104, um, and in 2015, 148. So yeah, you're absolutely right. He is not a top hitter in the league, um, and you're not, and you're paying him to be in that upper echelon aspect. But the question is, can he get back to where it's at? I mean, right now he's at a 38% K rate. Can he get back to a 31 or 32% K rate? Absolutely. There's no question about it. He can get back to that kind of K rate. It just, he was having a very difficult time at the beginning of the season seeing the ball. And that's going to happen in a small sample size. And, uh, you know, obviously, as we said, getting hurt didn't help him. And you can't hold that against him. Mm -hmm. But it's a thing that happened. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about uh, guys being hurt, again, uh, other regulars who had been pretty productive have, have also had injury bug. Uh, Wellington Castillo and Adam Jones being out of the lineup has also hurt them. And you can't say that that's the difference or it's not. I'm bl- not blaming them. And Manny guys. Machado being out for the New York series too. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But uh, it's just, you know, it's hard. It's hard. And, and, and one last, one last guy I would single out is uh JJ Hardy from being what I would consider especially absent Oof. offensively. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, you kind of expected J.J. Hardy to come into the season not to have the offensive production. You expected him at best to maybe have um, mm-hmm. a, a below-average season. But he's in the bottom three right now in terms of offensive performance, and his defense is not really holding up to par for it as well, in my opinion. And again, just like the starters, if any one of these things that we just mentioned were happening— that'd be okay. Sure. Right. If, if Manny Machado were the Manny Machado of last year offensively and Jones was having the year that he was having last year and Mark Trumbo was hitting home runs, like they were going out of style and then we lost Davis. Sure. Okay. That's fine. Or, or if Davis hadn't gotten hurt and all those other things were happening and Trumbo wasn't having a great season. Sure. Okay. The ugly blemishes get covered up by basically other good-looking aspects, but there really hasn't been anything good-looking going on lately. The thing we go back to is that everything sucks at the same time for the Orioles right now. And so, you know, who do you blame? I got to be honest. I blame the performance of the players on the players. So you're saying everything is sucky? Everything is sad when you root for this team? Everything is sucky? Uh, see, I, I think you've got a song there waiting for you, Scott Magnus. That might be right up my 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 alley in terms of not having to hit certain notes. But <laughs> Christina Aguilera still is suing me to this day. But <laughs> every time I hear that song, every time it comes on the radio, I cannot help but think of you. All right. Um, well, so we're blaming the players here. I think you have to. I think we have to blame pretty much all parties generally. I think the players had the majority of the stake of it, but I think you look at the aspect of uh, you have to place a little bit of blame on Madre McDowell. You've got to put up a little blame on Dan Duquette and you've got to put a little bit of blame on Buck Walter and just in terms of not being able to mix it up. But I think the high, heavy majority of it has to be the players. Maybe there's something we're not considering. Oh, okay. Has anybody looked under Camden Yards to make sure that there's no Indian burial ground under there? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know what? I actually have someone I could contact. Um, he's a he's he's a little bit of a soothsayer and a mystic. 
Um, do you would you like maybe give him a call and see if uh, he could come in and maybe uh, answer some of our questions? I would love that. But Scotty, I need to take a break. I'm actually going to run out for a few minutes. If you can get him on the phone, uh, I'd appreciate it. That's not a problem. So while Jake is out of the bathroom, we here at Bird's Eye View are left with seemingly unanswerable questions regarding the Orioles every single week. Uh, and Jake and I have a tendency to ramble through them and uh, come up with various suppositions, as we saw in the last segment. But um, we felt it was best to bring in a true expert instead. So I found this individual on LinkedIn, and he claims to be uh, a divine individual with uh, the unknown answers to the unseen questions, which sounded perfect for Bird's Eye View. So I reached out to him, um, and um, well, he's certainly interesting. He's coming right now in a turban and with a feather in his cap. Um, so thank you for joining us to uh, Karnak the Magnificent. Yes, that is right. I am Karnak the Magnificent. And in my hand, I hold the envelopes. These envelopes, hermetically sealed in a mayonnaise jar at SD Studios all day. No one knows the contents of these envelopes, but... In my mystical and borderline divine way, will ascertain the answers, having never before seen the questions in this envelope. Ooh, I'm a little excited. Envelope number one. I'm just going to hold this to my forehead, and I'm going to concentrate. The answer, of course, is effective starting pitching, a Jimmy John sub, and a one-way ticket to Canada. So effective starting pitching, a Jimmy John sub, and a one-way ticket to Canada. Yes, that's what I said. <laughs> Three things that Dan Duquette could really go for right now. <laughs> envelope number two. In this envelope is a question. Aha! Sanitation worker, Jello Pudding Pops PR manager, and the Baltimore Orioles post-game pressers. I think the blowing really helps. These are three jobs that Sean Spicer would rather have right now. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Envelope a number three. And how many envelopes do you have over there? It's a whole stack. I have uh, more than one. More, more than one, less than ten. All right. Uh, holding the envelope to my head, here is the the next uh, inclination that I'm getting. I'm getting pew, pew, pew. Where the Orioles radio network late inning sponsor would send you to solve the Orioles' woes. Oof. I don't know about that one. Ugh. <laughs> I hope you are listening to the Orioles Radio Network to hear the great uh, ads from the Archdiocese of Baltimore. <laughs> Envelope number four. Did you just do pew, pew, pew to the Catholic Church? Is that what I just heard? I spent a few times in some pews. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Karnak the Magnificent would never spend any time in pews. Envelope number five. Holding it to my forehead, I'm getting a premonition, and that premonition is this. Aha! A lack of discipline and inconsistent results. Mr. Magnus, you, of course, know what I'm referring to. Do you not? I, th I think so, but you're the, you're the divine one, so you can tell me. And the answer is how you would describe the Baltimoreans' podcast schedule. Ooh, that is true. That is exactly what I thought. By the way, it was number four, Mr. Mr. Karnak. Listen, I'm all-knowing. I'm all-seeing. So what you're telling is me is uh, may my protologist be a frustrated trombone player. I'm not not so good with the math. All right, next we have number X. Uh, <laughs> let me just hold that to my forehead. The the home run derby. Ooh, we don't have to hear back 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 this year. Where the Orioles pitchers will debut in the All Star. Game. Well, that's not very nice. It's true, but it's not very nice. All right. The next envelope, envelope Y, we'll call this one. Uh, holding this to my forehead. Why are we doing this? This one. 
this is <laughs> this is difficult, Scott. This is difficult for me to to understand. It's its meaning is not yet clear, but the message coming through is future Yankee. Well, that's probably why, because it's it's clouded the mystery of the future. Future Yankee. Let me just open up this envelope. Ways we hear ways we hate hearing Manny Machado and Aaron Judge described. Oof. The next envelope is here. Again, hermetically sealed inside a mayonnaise jar in SD Studios. Aha! Why are there mayonnaise jars down here? Look, the the studio is in your house. I can't tell you. Uh, this is, according to the envelope, a perfect 10. A perfect Ooh, 10. I wonder if this is about Jones. I bet you it is. Ways that Orioles opponents describe their score. Ooh. Ouch. Ouch. All right. Uh, this is the, the pen ultimate uh, envelope. Envelope number um, Z. Well, this is Z. What's the ultimate one? I'm getting, uh, I'm getting a feeling from this envelope. It is the crusher. It's got to be a crush Davis. What Mike Bordick calls Gary Thorne during happy hour. Actually, that makes a lot more sense. It does indeed. It does indeed. I say, so this is the last envelope that we this, have here. This is the, look, I don't need your help with this. May your pitching coach be Roger McDowell. Ouch. You cut me deep, sir. This is the last, the final envelope. The final envelope. I'm holding it against my forehead. I am feeling... I'm feeling the divine pass through me. And this envelope contains a note related to the wild card race. Perfect. This is exactly why we want you to have the show, so you could explain to us what we are going to need to do going ahead. Because there's all this question of, should we trade? Should we melt it down? Should we compete? Tell us the answers. The wild card race. This is a, this is a pretty small envelope for the amount of help that your team needs, but I will do my best. There's probably just a picture in there of a nuclear bomb, but... The wild card race. The lie that helps Orioles fans sleep at night. Yeah. That that does sound about right. And that does seem like it would be the sad ending that we would expect for the Baltimore Orioles. Well, Scott, it is time for me to return... To the east? To the east, where from which I have come. Good luck for all baseball moving forward. Well, thank you, Karnak and the Magnificent. It has truly been an honor... Uh, I'm not sure if we really gained any useful knowledge from you, um, but once again, uh, here at Bird's Eye View, we have um, raised questions once again out of one of our segments. So it's it's Jake's favorite time, um, and hopefully he'll be getting back from the bathroom soon uh, for uh, our next segment, uh, which uh, is making its uh, its return. And I just gotta keep insisting on the baby You sure do swing When it comes to kissing I just gotta keep insisting on daddy You are the king Baby, you've got me beat up and down Inside out and across Oh, yeah But in the middle of the night When the moon is shining bright You're the boss Scotty, I just, I just got back Um Thanks for covering the show. What What is this that's going on here? This sounds like the dulcet tones of Brian Setzer and Gwen Stefani. Well, look, I looked for Brian Setzer and Jake English trying to sing, but uh, I couldn't find anything. So I decided to do Brian Setzer with Gwen Stefani doing You're the Boss. And yes, folks, Fantasy Boss is back. We decided to uh, scrap deep cuts for a little bit because Jake was doing so poorly at it. Is that really just because I suck so bad? No, that had to be the reason. That was one reason. The other aspect is... We have been doing this show since 2012 with Fantasy Boss, and uh, it paid amazing dividends off. So maybe we need to return to the old ways once again and uh, make some bold predictions, and hopefully they will pay true for the Baltimore Orioles. So Jake, Fantasy Boss is back on for the 2017 season. I believe I'm the reigning champion of fantasy books. That is correct, which is why Brian Setzer Orchestra featuring Gwen Stefani was played. Now, for those of you playing at home who have never listened to uh, Bird's Eye View... And don't is, understand why Jake is so excited right now. <laughs> there are many versions of this song. Uh, and so when I win, 
you you will hear the the dulcet tones of Brian Setzer and Gwen Stefani playing this. And when I lose, I believe there's another version that you play. Yeah, I play a bunch actually. Uh, Elvis is one. Um, I I basically look for anything that basically is not Gwen Stefani Hanging just to rub it on you. That's fine. That's yeah. fine. That's fine. All right. So how are we going to do that? Are, who's going to pick the initial uh, category? Well, Jake, I figured since I actually brought back Fantasy Boss for this given segment, I figured I would get to pick the category this week. Uh, Jake, I really think it's important that we focus um, strongly on the starting pitching. We are going to pick the starting pitching that can go deepest into the ball game at this time. More than two innings? More than two innings. Oh, man. <laughs> so in the next week, yes. which of our starting pitchers goes the deepest? Yes. Oh, man. So the obvious and easy answer sure. is uh, Dylan Bundy. Yeah. I'm going to go Wade Miley. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm going to go with Dylan Bundy for, for obvious answers. But, yeah, I, I, I'm surprised you went with Wade Miley. Although, Wade Miley has shown the proclivity to have a deeper pitch count yeah. than anybody else on this team. So, he can normally bulldog it through for at least five innings, sometimes six innings. I wouldn't say he's ever going to touch seven innings. But, well, there was that one Red Sox game I will point out. Here's the thing about Wade Miley. Uh, if any of our starters gets hit with a 23-35 pitch inning, they're Dunsky. Sure. Right? They're a four-inning wonder. When that happens to Wade Miley, he guts it through and pitches into the sixth, uh, if not beyond. So for, for my money, Buck's willingness to go with Miley into the 115-119 area as far as pitch count gives him the best chance to get deep into the game, whereas a lot of the other guys uh once they suck they suck so let me throw this by you something for you to consider what about abato jimenez abato jimenez is pitching tomorrow on sunday uh he's pitching against the cardinals which is a national league team abato jimenez has actually done very well against national league teams in the past Mm -hmm. would you ever think about trading your pick of wade miley in for abato jimenez no okay here's the thing about abato jimenez i never actively root against anybody on our team but I al- I'm almost at the point where I don't want him to do well in the starting role because I don't want him to solidify a grip on the sure. starting role because he will only disappoint us. Sure. I feel like that that eight-inning, three-run three performance where he's just like flirting with danger the whole time will we'll give credence to the argument of, oh, you can bring Abaldo Jimenez back and it won't really hurt anything. Yes, it will. It will hurt everything. Abaldo Jimenez having access to the ball is a dangerous thing. And I say unto ye, no, no. I, want, I literally want to roll up the newspaper and rub Buck Showalter's nose in the box score. Don't do it, Buck. Don't do it. Can we pick a tiebreaker just in case? Yeah, let's do it. Fip? You okay with that? All right. Um, out of a starter or anybody? Uh, out of the two starters that we picked. Oh. So, I I, I mean, obviously, Bundy's going to have the better fit. Not necessarily. All right. I'll tell you what. I'll go with, I'll go with Wade Miley for, for uh, innings, and I'll go for Dylan Bundy on FIP as my tiebreaker. All right. And I will take... Uh, I'm going to take a Baldo Menes as my fifth tiebreaker. Man, if you win with that, I'm going to be so pissed. <laughs> and we'll go from there. All right. So we have it in terms of innings pitch, Wade Miley for uh, Jake English. I'm going with Dylan Bundy. And then we've got our tiebreakers just lined up just in case we uh, we need to go to them. With that, it is time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is when we identify the best, the worst, and the even more worst parts of Orioles baseball. Uh, Scott Magnus usually has the best of the rants, and so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go first. And my good for this week is Trey Mancini. Look, I've been dancing around the topic for weeks, but I'm going to do it. It can't be anybody other than Trey Mancini. There is no other option. Look, this week... 
he turned in a 222 weighted runs created plus. Again, remember that the average Major League Baseball player has a weighted runs created plus of 100. It's a normalized stat. 222, not too shabby. He had a WOBA of 505. And here's the thing. The standard league average BABIP is about, what, 290? Uh, 300. All right, 300? Yeah. I'll give you 300. Trey Mancini's is 563. So whereas it's not sustainable, whereas that means that he'll fall back to the mean, that's fine. He had a good week. Trey Mancini's hitting the cover off the ball, and he's my good. All right, my good for the week is going to go to the MLB draft. And most importantly, Orioles not trading away their competitive (laughs) draft pick uh, for getting rid of salary. Um, The Orioles, um, in all honesty, I mean, it's always hard to say, but the Orioles basically drafted where they didn't draft individuals that shouldn't have been drafted in those slots. They drafted a player in, um, in, in, in a slot that was appropriate all the way up, I think, until like the fourth or fifth round. And then... At that point, you're just guessing. That's the best way to describe it. So I think overall, if you look at how everything stacks up in terms of everyone that looks at it um, on a more consistent basis, um, the Orioles didn't do anything stupid this draft, which is the best I can get from a good standpoint for this week. I know that you don't have uh, Simon and Garfunkel all queued up right now. Yes. But uh, it's pretty sad when we're paying attention so hard to the draft pick. I think we talked about this in 2012 and we said, isn't it great that we don't have to talk about the draft right now because there's actually uh decent, you know, news coming out because before in the dark ages, it was always, Oh, uh, well the draft's coming up. So I guess we'll talk about that and, and find out what's going on with the future as opposed to the now, because the now is just equally depressing. Hmm. Well, I'm all depressed, so that's about the time that I'll go to my bad. Perfect. And my bad this week actually took place on Saturday. Okay. Saturday's sixth inning. The Orioles beat the pants off of the St. Louis Cardinals, which is a big deal because they won. Um, But I feel like they won in spite, despite a lot of things, and they won despite the sixth inning. The sixth inning. Here, I'll help you out here. Go ahead. Thank you. The sixth inning was awful. The Orioles used four pitchers to get the third out of the sixth inning. Buck tried and tried and tried to get that last out out of Wade Miley. And he couldn't get it. So he brought in Asher, who, of course, gave up a three-run home run right away. The next predictable they brought in was Blyer, who couldn't get the out that he was responsible for. And eventually, in the sixth inning, he had to go to Michael Givens. It's absurd that he has to chew through all of his bullpen like that just to just to protect a seven-run lead. And when I say just to protect a seven-run lead, yeah, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that they're good enough to give that away. Today, the sixth. The, the sixth inning in Saturday's game, that was uh, that was enough for me to feel like things are going bad. Even in a win, a lead of that proportion was not comfortable. And that's that's no good. All right. So my bad this week is going to go to Mark Trump. But you know what? Let me let me play some music behind this as well. Oh man. All right. So Mark this, this is episode ninety nine point five, I think. Ninety nine point nine nine. Sounds about perhaps. right. Uh, so Mark Trumbo has been absolutely abysmal besides today hitting a home run. 192 average, two, uh, 300 on base percentage, 231 slugging, 49 weighted runs created plus, which um, is actually worse than J.J. Hardy. I so love when, this song. So when you're worse than J.J. Hardy, you get a bad, especially when your whole job is basically just to hit the cover off the ball. Are you going to be able to contain yourself over there? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My ugly for this week is going to go to Dylan Atkinson. What? Yeah, Dylan Atkinson, friend of the program. Uh, he's been a guest on this program. Absolutely, right? uh, a, a fine uh, Twitter companion, if you will, in, in a in a, a somewhat uh, questionable uh, way for me to say that, as well as a contributor to uh, the Charm City Sports Network and Orioles Uncensored. Uh, Dylan has and Mass been, and Orioles blogger, too. and of course a guest blogger at MassandSports.com. Uh, Dylan has been tweeting out recently updates on the Orioles and how often they allow 
their opponent to score five or more runs in a game. Uh, Dylan, I don't need you to continue to add to my sads. I don't need you to tell me how bad the Orioles are. I'm crying all by myself, thank you. I'd like to look at a uh, a tweet that came out on June 17th, and, you know, maybe we should have done this in This Week in the Twitters, but I'm going to break the rules, Scott, and you're going to let me. Okay. This is a tweet that reads as follows from Dylan Atkinson at D-Atkinson-O-U. The Orioles have now allowed their opponent to score five-plus runs in 14 straight games and 18 of their last 21. Dylan, you're not ugly. Though I do not appreciate you bringing this up. The Orioles are ugly for allowing their opponent to score five or more runs in 14 straight games and 18 of their last 21. This is incredibly frustrating. Also, it makes me the sads, and it makes me play Chad and Jeremy. Yes. All right, Jake. The ugly for this week is obvious. It's got to be the bottom of Orioles starting pitching. Not just one individual... All of them get it, basically. Uh, Jake, over the past week, the Orioles have um, sent out their starting pitchers after seven games. Uh, they have pitched 28 innings, so four innings uh, per game. Woof. Um, and have posted a amazing 6.11 Ks per nine, 6.43 walks per nine innings, 2.89 homers per nine innings, um, 51.3% left on base percentage, which the typical average is 70%. Um, and then more importantly, an ERA of 13.5, a FIP of 8.32, and an XFIP of 6.41. Over the entire week, the Orioles stars are good for a negative 0.7 F war. What? Oh, oh, what? The Orioles are literally having pretty much the worst week, I'm going to say ever, for a starting pitcher. Wolf. I I almost hate to ask, Scott. Yes. Is this rock bottom? Yes, it is. It is rock bottom. It, it cannot get any worse than this. You cannot be any worse than 13.5 earned run average. I'm sorry. It, 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 it's absolutely the worst. I want to believe you, but I'm just not convinced. Okay. Well, I will point out that the FIP and the XFIP is lower. So it could regress down to 8.32 and 6.41. Positive? No? No? The I Orioles don't... were absolutely abysmal this week in starting pitching. It can only get better, folks. Uh, the walk rate is needs to come down. Command, command, command. Even if the strikeout doesn't go up, which eh, we could see it may be happening, maybe not happening, the walk rate needs to go down, and the home runs need to dissipate from the 2.89 down to a... 1.2 to 1.4, which is possible, folks, as long as you do not groove fastballs right down the middle of the plate. Could they maybe not have the sucks? Uh, I can talk to them. Okay. Um, let me get Roger McDowell on the call and uh, see what we can make happen, okay? Because apparently the pitching coach does everything. Uh, with that, I think it's time we go ahead and um, let, let's blow a little save. Scotty, if you will indulge me, uh, we've invoked their name once this evening, so I'm going to do it again. I'm going to wander into Baltimoreans territory. Someone has to. Yeah, uh, if they're not going to, if they're not going to produce content, we're going to do it on their behalf. Um, I would like to take a moment to address Wednesday's shooting in Alexandria, in which a group of congressmen were targeted. And it goes without saying that an attack on one of our democratic institutions, the U.S. Congress, is a terrible affront to our country. And I think that I speak for all of us when I say that I hope for a full and speedy recovery to everyone involved in the shooting. Moreover, I would like to applaud us, leaders and citizens, who have resisted the urge to bring partisanship into the issue. A madman shot at U.S. congressmen. And that is not an opportunity to score political points on either side. It's an opportunity to look at ourselves and those across the aisle and see, first and foremost, Americans. I hope that we can find more opportunities to do that, particularly when we're not reacting to a tragedy. Now, the shooting wasn't just an attack on the U.S. Congress. It was an attack on members of Congress who were engaging in something rare, 
a nonpartisan activity that had nothing to do with the usual inside the beltway bullshit. Politicians from both parties were preparing to raise money for a charity by participating in the annual congressional baseball game. That's right. In all of our brokenness, in our corrosive divisiveness, we can cut the crap by wrapping ourselves in the warm embrace of baseball. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has ruled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good, and it could be again. The Orioles may not be very fun to watch these days, but baseball remains. It offers us a chance to look past the stuff that doesn't matter and connect with the people that do matter. So I encourage you to use it. Use baseball as a way to connect with people you might ordinarily let slip away. When things get tense, go take in a baseball game. There is no argument that can't be thawed by three hours of the crack of the bat and the roar of the crowd. Stuck sharing an evening with family who doesn't vote like you? Throw in the baseball game. Let the current events disputes take the night off and instead debate the utility of the bunt, the manager's bullpen choices that evening, or whether or not the National League should adopt the DH. Baseball can connect us in a way that little else can, and who knows? If you can connect with someone on that level, it might just help you to understand their point of view or to see past the politics to the person beneath. Who knows? If it can work for members of the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate, It just might work for the rest of us. So to borrow a phrase, the more we watch the news, it's hard not to feel like America needs to be erased like a blackboard and rebuilt again. But in all that uncertainty, it's nice to know that baseball can still mark the time. It reminds us of all that was once good and can be again. So that's our show. That is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. And uh, Bird's Eye View is a proud member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can find this show on baltimoresportsreport.com slash network and also on baseballtalkradio.com, the home of great baseball talk. Bird's Eye View is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Please We'd appreciate a rating and a review. It helps establish what's called a social proof about this show and encourages new listeners to check it out. Engage with us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Google Plus, and Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And thanks so much for all the terrible rosters that you guys sent in the past week. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'll bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. Let's go O's. By the way, happy Father's Day to all the lovely gentlemen out there. Happy Father's Day. Hug your kids close. Also, maybe the Orioles could win this week. That'd be swell. It's over. Go home. Go.